It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. On Saturday, we got an opportunity to talk with the running backs Tony Offord, Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams. Evan Pryor, Dallin Hayden, no chip train him though. He found a way to evade us once once again. He's done that a couple of times since we've gotten him. He's evaded us during the interview process. Nathan, we'll start with you because you did write a story on Evan Pryor, who it felt like a year ago was coming into the season as RB3 before he got hurt. And now he's part of this clutter of a room that Tony Alford has to figure out how to deploy because, as Alford said, this is the probably the deepest room he's had. What did we learn from Evan Pryor? What, what did we learn from the running backs on Saturday, if really anything, outside of Evan Pryor's situation? Well, Evan Pryor is fully cleared to practice, but the way Tony Alford talked about him, he's not someone who is expecting – he's still being eased back into things. And that's the luxury of this room. You know, If he was the third scholarship guy and only had three – then it might be a little bit more urgency to try to get him up to speed. Obviously, we're talking about a guy who suffered what he clarified as a torn patellar tendon in preseason camp last year. So from basically mid-August on, he's been out and was not an individual participant in the spring. Actually, I should take that back. Was not a team participant in the spring. Was not a mm-hmm. contact drill participant in the spring. Did do some individual things in the spring. But this is really his first chance to get back and play football. So... And also on top of that, he's a guy who hasn't played a lot of football since 2020. His his senior season of high school was canceled by COVID. or Well, it got postponed until after he was already going to be at Ohio State. 2021, he played four games. I think he had like 21 carries. And then last year gets wiped out. So that's the extent of football, that uh, competitive football that Evan Pryor has played since 2020. And on one hand, he's very eager. Uh, on the other hand, he's realistic. And knows that he's going to have to build towards whatever role he has because he knows what, what's ahead of him in that room, and he knows he's still coming back. I think the important thing with him was to hear him talk about things like the the milestones he's still crossing, like the thresholds he's still crossing, getting into practice, running the same wheel route play that he tore that tendon on last year, getting hit, bouncing up, and being fine, or or just taking other hits and and knowing that he can you know uh, break away from guys. Like He's starting to feel like 
the back he was before all this happened. And there's always a, a mental journey that guys have to take back from these traumatic injuries. And I would, I would include any kind of, you know, torn tendon as, as that kind of traumatic injury. Cause it just costs you so much and sets you back so much. And he's on the way back from that. And he's saying the right things. I think for him, uh, you, you try to get a vibe on guys. And from him, I thought it was a really positive vibe. I thought it was a really positive attitude considering everything that has gone wrong for him in the last couple of years. I think the important thing too, though, is to hear him say, uh, it's not like he's out there. Oh, I'm going to compete to start on day one. Like he knows that this is a, a progression. He's still finishing. And I'm still most intrigued by Evan Pryor is what he means for 2024. But I think he's an interesting thing for Ohio State to have in its back pocket for 2023, just considering this is a room of guys who tend to get hurt. Yeah, I was listening back to it. He was very open and honest about what the last year has been like, almost a little too open and honest. He was talking about the struggles of having to keep your legs straight and how that can sometimes be a problem when you're trying to handle your personal business. So it doesn't sound like he's expecting to be in the hierarchy, the same place in the hierarchy that he was a year ago. Is that a fair, especially, at least not right now, is that a fair assessment to make for where Evan Pryor is right now? That if he was third last year, he understands that he just doesn't get his spot back just because now he's healthy, that there's going to be some some work here that needs to be done. Yeah, I don't think that question directly was posed to him. I didn't pose it like, are you the number three back? Should you be the number three back? But there's clearly a competition there just because when he got out, Dallin Hayden stepped up. And, again, he understands that, too. He watched it happen. He was like, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it was both tough. It was tough to be out regardless. It was even tougher to be out with this how badly they needed him. Like, if they had had a healthy Evan Pryor last year for the Peach Bowl, for instance, how who knows how that changes the Peach Bowl? Who knows how it changes the Michigan game? If they'd had a healthy Evan Pryor for those games. So he's not taking for granted that he just gets to come back and take a spot. But I think he also knows how quickly that could happen again. And it's I think that's keeping him focused on trusting Tony Alford and trusting the medical staff and building back towards at some point this season. I think that was the exact quote he gave me. Like, I, I think I can have a role with this team. I just don't know how soon it's going to happen. But this season, he expects to have a role. So that's one guy who's in that fight for probably RB3 right now. The other guy we got on Saturday who's in that conversation is Dallin Hayden. Andrew, did we learn anything from Dallin Hayden about what a full offseason in Ohio State has been like for him and where he's maybe improved and how he's approaching this deep running back room? Yeah, the number one thing that he mentioned was his weight gain. Um, you know, when he when he came in, he was at like 195. Now he's above 205 or 200 pounds. He's listed at 205. Um, you know, he 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 talked about when you gain that weight, that's something you have to adjust to. I mean, especially when you're that size. You know, he's not a six foot one, six foot two running back where he can easily carry if he wanted to get up there, 230, 230, like that's not his body type. That's not his frame. Um, you know, he's a little bit smaller than that. So you have to kind of be careful with that. He mentioned that you could feel it, you know, when they put on pads, he was like, this is something that is noticeable for me. This is something that I think is going to benefit me down the line. Um, but when he talked about it, I didn't get the sense that, Hey, this is going to help me. This is going to help me run over defenders, right? Like when he, when he was kind of explaining all this, I didn't get the sense where he was like, okay, well now I'm more balanced. Now I can be a power back. Now this, that, now that 
I kind of took what he was saying as almost injury prevention and kind of endurance throughout the course of a season because the way that he was framing everything was, I'll feel this down the line. I'll be able to notice the difference down the line. Everything he talked about was kind of down the line. And I thought that that was interesting because, you know, I mean, we've talked before in our stand-up videos, for example, kind of about, hey, Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson, like, they're they get hurt like this is they're not exactly going to go through a season um you know with and it's just the running back position you know it's it's hard to go through a season where everybody's fully healthy for all 12 regular season games and then maybe a big 10 championship game and then maybe a playoff game or two like it's really difficult to do that so i think that was what i noticed most and that was what i thought was the most interesting was that I mean, obviously, another year in a system, you're going to feel better. Obviously, another year in a college weight program, you're going to feel better. But the fact that he framed it as, I'm going to feel better at the end of the season was interesting to me. Because you look at his game logs. I mean, I know he didn't play a lot early on in the season. You know, he had four carries against Arkansas State. You know, it was just a couple carries here and there every couple of weeks. And then against Indiana and Maryland, I mean, he scored four touchdowns, rushed for 250 yards total. Like, he had really nice games, and then he didn't play against Michigan or he hardly played against Michigan. He had two carries. So, you know, he played better at the end of the season. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this kind of manifests itself and how this plays out now that he says, or he hopes that he's going to be feeling better at the end of the year, that he's going to have more juice left in the tank at the end of the year. That's something that I think I'm really interested to see how this plays out. Nathan, you mentioned it, how you're curious with Evan Pryor about what this means for next season, not necessarily right now. And we'll save a Travion Mayan discussion for after the break here. But with these two specifically, are they both under that umbrella for you right now? Assuming both of them stick around for another year, because we do live in an era where all five, Tony Offer said that all five of these guys had an opportunity to leave if they wanted to, for various reasons, obviously. Uh, Dallin maybe to go home, Evan Pryor just to maybe get a, a fresh start. With those two guys, because of who's in front of them, is it more about what can you flash to make you feel comfortable about the running back room in 2024 than about if everybody's healthy, knock on wood, given who's in this room, what they what they can contribute to this season? Is that is that how you're maybe thinking about it for both of these guys? Is Maybe you're a year away from maximizing what both of these guys are just because of what the room is. Well, I think I – feel that way more about Pryor than about Hayden just because Hayden did it last year and it's mm-hmm. no fault to Pryor Pryor just didn't have the opportunity but but Hayden did step up last year when when needed and I think that puts him first in line to do it again um, we didn't talk to Chip Trainum and we haven't really talked to Chip Trainum yet I think it's an interesting conversation about where exactly he fits in this room because Ryan Day has talked about him positively here in the offseason and when they did need someone against Michigan last year they didn't ask Dallin Hayden they asked Chip Trainum, and he performed pretty well too so whether that is actually a battle to be the number three running back right now I don't know I think early this season with those first two healthy it's mostly going to be about giving Dallin Hayden and I would lean towards Hayden for this reason if I was them get Hayden in late in games and let him cook and let him build confidence and let him build skills and let him you know improve under game conditions because you need him for the long term more than you need chip train him as a running back for the long term but i of those two i still look at hayden as having the bigger 2023 impact potentially just because i think he's next in line should be next in line if if one of those first two falters when one of those not falters but when an inevitable 
bump or bruise comes up. Because, again, those guys have just had trouble shaking that for the last their whole careers so far. So you're firmly in a sense of that Dalvin Hayden is probably third in carries amongst running backs. I would suspect so, yeah. And it actually may even be, again, depending on exactly where they – the two training thing is is a little bit hard to assess just a few days into camp only because like they talk about him so positively but he's going to be such a special teams warrior for them mm-hmm. if as as you're trying to find everybody a role i think you can get him that role i mean obviously if he's just that much better than Dallin Hayden they should play him but if it's close he can have that role he can still be involved in the backfield but Hayden is the one that you can use those carries more as a developmental tool and let's be honest, more as a way to say, you're actually playing. Like, we want you here in 2024. You might be our lead back in 2024. So we want you to go out and show us what you can do late in those games and keep improving. I just, I, I see a clearer path to Dallin Hayden uh, getting, being third in carries on this team than anybody else. So is that... He had 111 carries for 553 yards and five touchdowns last year. It's five yards per carry. I'm assuming that – well, no, actually, for both of you guys, this is a good question given who we're going to talk about here after the break. Is he over or under that amount? Over 100 – no, let's, let's put it at 100. Over or under 100 carries this year for Dallin Hayden, given what we know about the two guys ahead of him and the fact that right now he's probably the most established non-starter in that room. I'm going to say over, but maybe not like massively over. If you're mm-hmm. if you're talking about a f- fifteen game season, or go even going off thirteen games, that's only that's less than eight carries a game on average. Yeah, and considering how many times he might tote it in some blowouts, I, I think I think over hundred is. I would vote over. I would I would I would go over hundred. Andrew, that's a that's a good line. Um... You should go to Vegas and do that. You should set that in Vegas, Stephen. Um, uh, I say, yeah. I, I mean, I think if you if you take over 100, you're sweating it. Um, I mean, Trevion Henderson played in eight games last year. Like, it's not hard to see a world where Trevion Henderson plays in 10 and all of a sudden there's not as many carries to go around. Or, you know, you mentioned some of the other guys where it's like, all right, Trip Trainum, does, does he get more? You know, there, there's there's math there that would have to work out. You know, do you think they're going to run more with the new quarterback as they ease him? There's a lot of different things. So I'm going to go slightly over because, like Nathan said, I think what's going to happen is you're going to play, you know, Youngstown State, and there's no reason to pull, you know, there's no reason to, to kind of go full bore in the, probably the second quarter. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's no there, there's going to be opportunities for rest here. You know, especially with that, you know, you have like a back-to-back Penn State, Wisconsin stretch. Like leading into that, maybe you get those guys off their feet. Maybe get Mayan and uh, Trevion off their feet a little bit. So I'm gonna say over, but if you take the over, you're you're it's gonna be a, a 13 game sweat. I'm taking the over simply because regardless of. Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson's health situation, even if they're fully healthy, I think they just might handle them a little bit differently this year because my learning lessons of what happened last year, which Dallin Hayden gets more opportunities before that because they're thinking, you know, Tony offered through the idea of pitch count out there a couple of times. I know he was talking about fall camp and what they're doing in practice, but I'm not going to be shocked if that follows them into the season because you're dealing with your best two running backs have are injury prone. 
We've seen that for two years now. So that's right there. Dallas Hayden might get 10 to 12 carries a, a game just because, to your point, Nathan, it's 35 to 7 at halftime, and there's no reason to put Travion Henderson back out there. And there's no reason to yeah. put Mayan Williams back out there. While also, Dallin is just to Andrew's point about him, his weight game and actually going through a full offseason, because we have to remember he showed up in June last year, he might be just more prepared to carry a type of load like that in situations. He was a little dude last year, and maybe that played some of the role in why he wasn't the guy they went to against Michigan, because that is a more physical game. And you're talking about an 18-year-old who had not really been through the strength and conditioning program the same way while Chip Trainum has played running back in college football before, and he's also a junior at that point. So maybe that played a little bit of a role in it. But Dallin being more established both as a player but also just being in the system a year longer presents a situation where they could easily have a similar split of someone's got 130 carries, someone's got 115 carries, and Dallin Hayden maybe has 102, 103 because of that. The thing with Hayden, too, is you know last year, yeah, his big carries came against you know, Maryland, he had 27 carries. And IU, he had 19 carries a week before. That was when he had kind of his breakthrough. But remember the Toledo game early that year, 17 carries. Mm-hmm. There's an MSU game with 14 carries. Those were both blowout situations. And that the same dynamic is, I think, going to exist, which is whenever it's time to go to your backup running back, your true like next tier down running back, it's not your number two guy. This isn't 2019 with like J.K. Dobbins. Mm-hmm dominating all of the first string snaps and then master Teague who is the backup now gets all the number twos. Like I think it's Williams and Henderson both leaving the game and now you're turning it over to Hayden at the top of that lower tier. So I think that's going to, those games where you get 17, 14, 12, 15, whatever early on. I mean, he was getting eight, nine carries against Wisconsin and Rutgers in big 10 games last year. Like Mm -hmm. all he's got to do is do that for a full year. And it's also keeps open the opportunity for them to just find him an extra series once in a while. I don't know if they'll do that just because they have those two guys at the top, and I don't know if it's if it's worth that, – that's not a gamble they often take. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't see mm-hmm. them usually just mix in guys for, oh, hey, let's get some – let's just get him a look. That, that isn't really an Ohio State thing when you've got two guys ahead of him. So that would probably be more of it. you know, we'd have to wait for an injury to pop up, not that we're – like rooting for one, but you'd have to, if, if an injury popped up, that would be maybe more realistic. I think it's more just about him being consistently the guy that gets turned to, to salt away these games, especially early, just because prior, I don't know if he's ready to go in a, in a, if, if they trust him in a full way on day one, or if they even want to trust is a tricky word. If they want to put it on him to have to be ready for day one, I don't know if, if that's either looking at this. Master T got 135 carries in that situation where JK Dobbins got 301. So if you take J.K. Dobbins and split him in half and create Mayan Williams and J.K. and Travion Henderson, then you're a master Teague and that situation is just down Hayden. Now, it's probably not going to be quite as high because, I, I don't know, unless this defense turns into 2019 defense, which we need to see before we actually say something like that. But I, I'm with you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what Mayan Williams said. But really, we're going to have a Travion Henderson discussion on basically everything under the sun because that's the deal with Trayvon Henderson and has been for the last two years. So more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Nathan, are we? Should we just expect some version of the same thing that we saw the last two years from Mayan Williams in terms of you know, how he's used, you know, what his production might be like? Maybe he deals with a few nicks here and there because that's what's happened in the last two years. But did he say anything that felt like? Hmm, that's interesting for how they might use him this year, or should we just expect more of the same? I mean, mine doesn't say much about a lot of that's thing, true. almost anything. <laughs> I don't know if yeah, that's, that's the true. best way to phrase that question. Um, really good guy, uh, but uh, everybody <laughs> likes him, just is not super verbose. Um, I think like one of my favorite moments from Saturday's <laughs> interviews was like somebody asked him like, Oh, how could I can't remember? Might have been even Evan Pryor. Like, oh, how can he help you this year? Like, he can help us in a lot of ways. That that's a that's a very typical <laughs> yeah. Mayan Williams answer. Yeah. Um, and other times he was it was something else about Evan Pryor where somebody asked him something and then he he very cleverly like was trying not to answer it. Like, didn't want to give something away. So maybe that tells mm-hmm. you something about they do have a, a plan for Evan Pryor later this season. To get back to your original question, I, and you kind of teased to this already. I I mean, there's an extent to which the Mayan Williams role is dependent on what Trevion Henderson is. Mm-hmm. If, if, because we've always said, I mean, both these guys can be productive in this offense. Quite obviously they've both done it. And my Williams arguably did it better than Trevion Henderson last year. When you look at, you know, per carry numbers and things like that, uh, it made some, made some huge plays when, when they needed him. And at the same time, there has always seemed to be this elusive next s- plateau for Tremaine Henderson to try to get to. The ceiling, by many estimations, is higher for him. So does he touch that ceiling? Does he approach that ceiling? And does that create a, a space between how much he's supposed to play over Mayan Williams? Because as as much as they talk about those guys in a connected way, as we pointed out on a previous pod, like whenever they're both healthy, Tremaine Henderson starts. And Trevin Henderson is the lead back. Like they're not switching out every other series. Like Trevin Henderson is the, the main guy. And if he takes that role and no pun intended runs with it in a way that he wasn't able to last year because of the injuries, then I think that it's possible that Mike Williams doesn't have as expansive of a role because the, his role expanded last year. You know, he has the monster game against Rutgers because Trevin Henderson couldn't play very simply. And if, if Trevin Henderson plays and stays healthy and, takes a you know a step in his development then mine williams won't have as big a role as he had last year and nor nor should he um i think if though if, if trevin henderson has trouble staying healthy or if he doesn't quite show that same burst and that same vision the things that they've been trying to coax out of him for the last couple of years then i think the door is open for mine williams to have an equal share of of that room Mayan's journey at Ohio State has been interesting, I think, the more you think about it, because he's the running back that wasn't really supposed to be the running back in that class. You thought you had Bijan as a silent commit, and then he ends up publicly committing to Texas, which the whole silent commit thing, I think that's a recruiting pod we need to do. It's been she one day, so Andrew, just put a pin in that one. 
And then, obviously, at the end of that 20, 21, 2020 season, we see him against Clemson Flash and a couple of runs that ends up setting up the dagger Justin Fields play action shot to Chris Olave. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe there's something there. And then in 2021, he he suffered some injuries, but 71 carries for 508 yards and three touchdowns. That's 7.2 yards per carry. It's like, oh, that's a quality number two. And then this past year, 128 carries, 825 yards. He had 14 touchdowns. Five of them came against Rutgers, which is was tied a school record, but it's still Rutgers. We still have to put that in context. But every year of his career so far, he's been able to do more than maybe we were expecting him to do because of the the situation he was in. Right? I think that's a fair thing to say. So maybe we haven't seen what the Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams pairing really looks like outside of that Wisconsin game when they both had 100 yards, what it can look like when go- both guys are healthy and are a significant part of this offense, but in different ways because they have different skill sets. So I don't even know how to even put a number on what his usage looks like because we still can't even be completely confident that the guy ahead of him is going to be 100% healthy. So his stats could be anywhere from he could be a 1,000 yard back this year. Or it could be what 2021 was when he just looks like a quality number two. Andrew, I don't know. It matters. But how do you gauge how we should view Mayan Williams and his role this year in a situation where, at least for right now, we have to expect Travion Henderson to be as healthy, healthier than he's been during his time here? Yeah, that, so that's going to be the tough part because I, I you know. When you look at a running back room, just generally, that has two guys that you want to get the ball, there's kind of a limit, right? Like, I I don't know if you can look at the end of the season at Mayan Williams and be like, ah, well, you know, he only had X amount of yards. Like, you know, he only, unless it's something, you know, 300 or 400, you know, unless there's something, you know, injury-wise or something where he he clearly gets passed on the depth chart for some reason, whatever that would be, I don't know. But, like, it would have to be something kind of out of left field like that because, again, there there is a limit. So I think it's got to be you, – you've almost got to – and, you know, it's, it's a funny phrase, but, like, you've got to use the eye test, I think, a little bit. How do they use him? What do they – what situations do they use him in? Like what, you know, how do they work in all these backs and is he successful at, at kind of utilizing that role? So that's going to be the thing to me that that's really interesting because again, you, you're, you look at him now. I mean, last year, 128 carries, 825 yards, 6.4 yards a carry, like, you know, 6.4 yards a carry that that's really solid. But what are you going to do if he gets 130 carries again and you, ah, oh, we, we needed two, a thousand yard rushers or you, I, I think in terms of you know, especially with what we were talking about at the top, like I think in terms of kind of expectations for this year, they almost can't be statistical because you it's going to be really hard to find an answer that way. Okay. So to Nathan's point, a lot of what Mayan Williams does this year is probably hinging on how healthy is Travion Henderson on a week to week basis. So let's, let, let's get into that conversation. Then we got to talk to Travion Henderson as well on Saturday and I think I said this to him as part of my question. He just looks happier and a lot more positive than maybe we he's been since he's been here, and especially than he was a year ago. And for all, just, I've been working on a story with Travion Henderson where I've been talking to a lot of people from his home who have been obviously confirming things, whether it's you know him thinking about transferring in the offseason or you know, where his mind was at the end of that season, why he decided to come out on his own and say what his injury was instead of, you know, 
keeping it, you know, behind closed doors the way Ohio State handles a lot of its injuries in terms of specifics. You know, when did he kind of turn that page and the conversation he had with Ryan Day and Tony Alford in the offseason? And when did he go from being this guy who felt like he wasn't needed here and didn't feel loved here to now it seems like he's one of the more enthusiastic people on the roster? That's him as a person. Um, Nathan, I don't know if you were over there, but you did. Obviously, we all went back and listened to these interviews. Did you guys kind of get the same vibe off of him that the football stuff we'll get into in a minute? But from a feelings standpoint and a where his head at, does it seem like he's in a better place? And what does that mean for him as a football player heading into what might be his last year here? Or at least what some may expect to be his last year here? Going into last season, obviously, when you come off a really strong freshman year, the expectations are that you're going to take this jump. And I think we see a lot of guys deal with this, that when that doesn't happen sophomore year, I think you get a new perspective on things, and that influences how you can kind of come in and attack this third year. And for him, there was also the obviously the injury frustration that got in there too. And... So for he's in a he's in an interesting place because on the one hand, this is not an offense that needs its running back to lead the way. You know, there's obviously his considerable talent at receiver and a nice guy at tight end, and you 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 feel like the quarterback is going to come in and and whoever they pick lead this thing. And running back can kind of be done by committee. That's the the, the job that you know that's been shown across college football and into the NFL. So he should feel less pressure than he ever has in some ways. Because I think there was a lot of expectation as a freshman, too, coming in. Like, Mm -hmm. why aren't you starting on day one? And it it looks, you know, is it Ohio State's fault or is it your fault that you're not there yet? And and it took a little while for them to fully commit to him. But then then it happened, and he more or less responded. So I, I think from... This is the way he's been talking, and you can take this all the way back to the end of last year. This is a guy who isn't necessarily like making excuses for why he didn't play well. That's not what I hear when when I hear him talk about the injury and things like that. I think it's more uh, someone who still has great confidence in what they can do and is has, was was frustrated that he didn't have that opportunity, and now it. Now he gets to answer that. If he's fully healthy, now he gets to go out and show us that he does have that vision, that he can make those plants and those cuts and and be the running back that Ohio State kept hoping he could be last year and his body just wouldn't let him do it. Andrew, he was talking about how he spent his offseason back home working with his track coach, and he said that his track coach put him through all these crazy drills and whatnot that are supposed to help with his explosiveness. And then I, I obviously got on the phone with this track coach and you know, the conversation. He said that to Nathan's point a little bit, Ohio state may never get the best version of Travion Henderson. And that's because it doesn't have to get it because of how this offense operates. It's because of the quarterback play, because of the receiver play, um, the passing game and the totality, the fact that there's room is so deep. So it, it seems like we, we're having the same Travion Henderson conversation since you got here, but that's what really matters here. In that reality of you've got Marvin Harrison, you've got a Mecca Buka, you've got Julian Fleming, you've got two quarterbacks where one of them is going to win a battle, and until shown otherwise, you probably think they're going to be at least halfway decent. Because it's so much depth in the room, what's realistic expectations for what we should see from Travion Henderson, and can he have a – 
to the complete arc of the J.K. Dobbins story have a J.K. Dobbins impact, even if it has he doesn't have J.K. Dobbins numbers? Yeah, I think it can be a little more, you know, I mentioned with Mayan, I don't know if you can look at it statistically. I think with Travion, it can be. I think you can say, okay, you know, this is a good benchmark for him. This is kind of where you want him to be. Now, obviously, that's injury dependent. Obviously, that's blowout dependent. I mean, maybe Ohio State gets up on a bunch of teams in the first month or so of the season really early and you know, hey, all of a sudden the Notre Dame game is, you know, 38 to 13 going and, you know, midway through the third quarter. There's there's no reason to play him there. So I think that there are situations like that. But um, in terms of the, what you kind of need from him, like you're going to have to run the ball at some point. You're going to be beating Penn State 31-24 with six minutes left in the game and you have the ball and you're going to have to ice the game away. Like you're going to have to do that. So it's again, I think I'm kind of veering back into the what I said about Mayan. Like, it's not so much st- a statistical answer. Like, you have to be able to effectively run the ball when you need to effectively run the ball. Because you mentioned all the receiving talent that Ohio State has. You mentioned kind of the the assumption that, you know, you're probably gonna feel pretty good about what you where you are at quarterback. Like, there's a lot going on elsewhere to running back, but you y- you do have to run the ball at some point. So I think Maybe statistically, uh, you know, you're probably saying a thousand yards would be a good goal for him. You know, just be considering we we've been talking about a timeshare this. I mean, this entire podcast. So I think that's that's a good goal for him. But again, it's gonna come down to can this team run the ball when you have to? Can he run the ball when he has to? Can you get four or five yards of carry against Michigan, against Penn State, against Notre Dame, and the Big Ten Championship game in the playoff when you need four, five, six yards of carry because you're trying to ice the game away or you know, you're you're trying to, you know, melt the clock at the end of a game and go in for a game winning score. Like whatever it is, like you've got to be able to rely on him in that capacity. So I think statistically there is there are some numbers that you can point out to, and I would say that that would be kind of indicative of a, of a strong year for him. But I think fundamentally there has to be a feeling amongst Ohio State and the offense that this is a true RB one, and this even you know even if you say we have two running back number ones, like that's fine. But you have to rely on Henderson and say this is a true guy that we can rely on. This is a guy who is our number one very clearly. And we're going to give him the ball when we have to give him the ball. And we know we're going to get what we need to get. That's, that's to me, kind of the mark of a true number one, of a true guy that you want to carry the load. So I think that that's kind of where I would do, I would, I would place my expectations for Henderson. It's some statistical, but there also kind of has to be this understanding of he has to be that dude when he has to be that dude. I mean, Henderson averaged 6.8 yards per carry as sure. a yeah. fresh, true freshman. And it was 5.3 last year. And I think the injury was a big part of that, but that tells you again what the potential is. And, and as, as we've always said, you're judging Ohio State by its own standards. You're trying to judge players based on the standards that they have established as much as you can, not just judging them based on the, the what ifs of the, the recruiting world or whatever. And I mean, 6.8 yards a carry, that was legit. And again, as we've talked about before on the pod, even within that success, a lot of it came, you know, there was the huge game against, um, it's escaping me now. Was that Akron early that year? Was that Tulsa in 21? Tulsa. Tulsa. Yeah. yeah. 21. Um, and so that does skew those numbers a little bit, but it, it was just very clear that there was something that he put on the field that season that he wasn't able to put on the field last season. So kind of to get to Andrew's point, I, to me, 
And, and we're going to do a market down Monday with some statistical uh, predictions. And mm-hmm. we may do one about the running backs, but I really think it's more bang for buck with him. It's like, how much are you getting out of every time he touches the ball? Not how much does he touch the ball and what does that lead to? I, I That is a very secondary concern because you just have so many other ways to go with this offense. Austin hasn't had a running back carry the ball at least 200 times since JK had it 301 times in 2009, obviously in 20, um, 2019, excuse me. And obviously in 2020, shortened season, so nobody even got over 150, even though Trey Sermon and Master T both had over 100. In 2021, they didn't really fully give Travion Henderson the offense until maybe week four. So that plus my Williams injuries, Master Teague, his role slightly declining. Nobody did it in 21, and then nobody did it last year either. Nobody even had over 150. Maybe I think that from a health standpoint – Probably Travion Henderson's got the best chance. From a talent standpoint, he's probably the guy you want to carry it 200 times. But from a health standpoint, it's probably going to be an under just for the sake of getting him through a season there as well. But to your point, Nathan, it is more about what he can do with those 180 carries. He had 183 carries in 2021. If he's in that range again this year, it's more about what he does with those carries. Plus, maybe they use him more in the passing game than they did a year ago. We're going to take one more break. That pretty much wraps up the running back talk. So when we come back, we're going to have a 10-minute discussion just updating where Ohio State stands with recruiting because they did lose out on a five-star safety over the weekend. So more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Back on Buckeye Talk. And I don't want to have a long conversation about it because I think it's a bigger issue at hand that deserves its own pod. But Ohio State did lose out on K.J. Bolden, the number seven player, the top safety in the country to Florida State, a kid from Georgia where three weeks ago it was Ohio State versus Georgia. Then it was Ohio State versus Alabama. And then Ohio State versus Florida State. And then Florida State inevitably wins there. Nathan, I'll start with you just because you've been here a little bit longer. This continues a run here of – safeties where Ohio state probably finished second. And when you're talking about a safety driven defense, even though I think we put too much onus on that sometimes for what Jim knows wants, but still he called it a safety driven defense. So we're just going by his words. When do we see this start to be start to show up on the field for Ohio state where you've missed out on Zion branch. You've showed up, you've missed out on Xavier Wampa. You missed out on Caleb Downs last cycle. And now you've missed out on KJ Bolden. When do we see this show up in a way that negatively impacts Ohio state? If we see it show up for Ohio state like that. Well, it could be this year. I mean, it could be now, mm-hmm. like you already mentioned, Caleb Downs, Xavier Nwampa, Zion branch. Like I don't know yet if Jihad Carter is better than any of those guys. And that's who they're talking about being the starting adjuster right now. Would, would any of those guys be better off on the field than him? You know, those other guys sound like they've started their careers pretty well at those places. Some of them already, you know, starting in, in a pretty short order. Uh, listen, like regardless of whether you call it a safety driven defense or not, if, if they're going to keep using people like Sonny styles as safeties, 
than and or as the nickel, I should say, then and it's not a cornerback uh, type of transition that you're doing there. Then mm-hmm. you need three starting safety. You need six. <laughs> well, you need at least three starting safeties. Or you have to have three starting caliber safeties every year, and really, you probably need more like four or five that the next guy is ready to step up. And I think it could show up in a big way this year, depending on you know, as much as we talked about depth and it does seem like they have depth there, guys who are pretty good. Do they have championship depth there? I don't know, but that's, there's still some things that remain to be seen as far as the, the second level down. It's kind of nice when you can count on people like Josh Proctor to not be your starter, to be like your depth mm-hmm. guys. I think that is a, is a boost, but it, we've also seen that uh, I don't, what that could mean if they have to rely on those guys long-term. It's just, it's, I, I think fans are frustrated. I think it's fair to say maybe they were runner up in all of those situations. And sometimes when you shoot high and you keep being the runner up, it looks, it looks like your recruiting efforts are worse than they are because it would be worse if you just weren't in the mix for any mm. of the best guys in the country at that position. That's like the worst case. And then this is kind of like a, a secondary. And then like secondary would be like you can't get very far with them. And then like kind of the third worst thing down the list is you're right there and you're just not finishing it off for whatever reason. And at the same time, it just comes back to this is what I just said a little bit ago about the running backs. You're judging Ohio State by its own standard. And – it's great that Sonny Styles is here, but he's a legacy who lived 15 minutes away or whatever. Like it's that is not the same kind of recruiting win, no matter how good he is. As you know, you could argue that it was a bigger recruiting win in some ways to get Ronnie Hickman from New mm. Jersey when they got him, because there you're getting like a guy that other major programs are interested in. And he's not in your, you know, he's in the Big Ten footprint, technically. Mm. Uh, you know, thanks, Jim Delaney. But it's New Jersey. And you're getting, a, like, a, a really interesting athlete and a potential multi-year starter, which is what he turned out to be. Like, those wins have to be coming, too. Or I'm trying to think of what would be an even better example. But it's been a while since, other than Styles, when they've, like, landed a, a – a massive safety. I mean, Proctor, Proctor would be an example of this, right? Getting a top mm-hmm. 100 prospect from Oklahoma to come to Ohio state. That was a major, major win when it happened back in uh, 18 or whenever that was. So they have to have those. They have to sprinkle those in. Like we, you know, right now we'd be talking about this team very differently. If it only had Jack Sawyer and didn't also have JT to him out. Like imagine that if they get the guy who's right next door, but you don't also get the national prospect, it's got to be a mix. Like this is the level Ohio State is playing at that it wants to play at, and that it should want to be judged by. So, until you get those guys, until you win one of these battles again, people are going to keep talking about it. I don't know what else to say. Like you can't. Ohio is never going to produce enough five star guys. It's 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 an unfair standard. Sometimes, like you expect them to get all of those guys. Like they can't ever let the sunny styles of the world go somewhere else, but then you've also got to follow it up and get the other guy. And I still think that's, that's just what it takes. That's just what it takes. I, I get your point with the Ronnie Hickness, sunny styles comparison there, because it's almost sunny styles would have been a bigger loss than it is a win just because of what, I mean, 15 minutes from your house and he's a legacy kid. He probably should be at Ohio state while with Ronnie Hickman, big win. You got a kid out of New Jersey, but I don't think, 
as a guy who wasn't a top one, was a borderline top 100 recruit, but not necessarily a five star to the level of KJ Bolton. You're not baiting down the door if at that point Alex Grinch didn't get him. Andrew, you're about to step into this recruiting world. And you're probably seeing a bunch of reactions to Ohio State losing out on KVA, Kingston Villamuasa, uh, the line, top 100 linebacker out of California, losing out on Dylan Stewart, you know, the five-star edge rusher from D.C. to South Carolina, now losing out on K.J. Bolden as a five-star kid out of Georgia, not to the national reigning national champions who were in his backyard, but to Florida State, who didn't even get one of his official visits this summer. And it sounds like the sky is falling. Probably, or you're you're probably looking at it like, man, the sky must be falling. <laughs> and then you look at the recruiting rankings, and they're ranked second, and they actually have the they're ranked second in both total points and second in you know average star rating, which is about your quality of class, right behind Georgia. What have been as you're trying to wrap your head around where Ohio State's recruiting class is, and trying to provide con trying to find your own context that you can provide. Where do you think Ohio State's recruiting efforts are right now? Should people be, in your opinion, as someone who's new to this, should people be panicking? Should they be super excited at what, what's happening? Should they be in a wait-and-see mode? Where do you think fans should be about where things are right now? Um, That's a good question. Uh, I think maybe cautious would be the word. Um, you know, uh, uh, like I, you look at the class, right? And I mean, you have Justin Scott, five-star defensive lineman, right? That's you. You need those kids to win national championships. You need those kids to compete for national championships, especially on the defensive line. You just get Aaron Scott, a four-star corner. That's a kid that I mean, you need obviously good cornerback play. The problem that I think Buckeye fans have had, and this is kind of the vibe that I have picked up on, is one we talked about this when KVA committed to Notre Dame. The vibe that I pick up is that they have dudes, but not enough. And not only that, they are heavily skewed towards the offensive side of the ball. Like you look at last year's recruiting class, you look at this year's recruiting class. Like you, you, I, I, I get the worry. I do, and I, and I don't actually, I don't think it's you know, unfounded because let's just hypothetical world. KJ Bolden commits. Well, okay. Now you've got two five-star players on your defense. You got two five-star commits. You got uh, Justin Scott and you've got KJ Bolden at safety. You've got a couple other targets on the board. Edric Houston hit uh, KJ Bolden's teammate at, at Buford. I think is how you pronounce Bu- uh, down in Georgia, Buford high school. Like you have him on the board and he's a five-star defensive lineman. And the, it's not hard to draw a line. And I think that that has been the frustrating part for Buckeye fans from what I've read, from what I've seen and, and just kind of everything that I've tried to consume over the last couple of weeks, that has been the difficult part because it's, you know, it's the, uh, what's the Kevin Garnett quote from, um, um, Oh God, the movie that he was in with Adam Sandler, what's it called? Uh, Uncut Gems. Yeah. It's like, why, oh, why would you show me this if I can't yeah. have it? <laughs> show me something if I couldn't have it. Like, I think that that's the frustrating part with, with Buckeye fans because it's like, okay, well you, you think KJ Bolden might commit and you think, you know, uh, you think all these guys might commit and you think, okay, well maybe we can get this guy and maybe we can get that guy. Maybe we can do this. Maybe we can do that because the pieces are like, there are pieces there, right? Like Aaron Scott and, or Aaron. Yeah. Like those two guys, the corner you get, um, Aaron Scott and Justin Scott, the two Scott guys, like those, no relation, no, I no relation. Exactly. Uh, thank you for clarifying the, 
those are two kids that can be the building block of a recruiting class, like a, like a genuine, this is elite level recruiting class, right? Then you lose out on KJ Bolden. You miss out on the defensive end who goes to South Carolina. Like there are, and and not only that you're in on it. And I think Nathan had a good point where you're gonna like, you can be in these battles and if you swing it, you're going to lose. Like you're, you're not going to win. Ohio state is not going to get 25 recruits every single year and get the top 25 players in the country. And that's it. Like you're going to lose to Alabama. You're going to lose to Georgia. And especially in an NIL world, you're going to lose to a Florida state. You're going to lose to a team where you look at it and you go, huh? How did they get, you know, what? all right, sure. You're going to lose to a couple weird ones, but I think that that's the that's the problem that I've noticed that Ohio State fans are having is that the pieces are there, and if you really want to transform, you know, if, if you really want the defense to match the offense, you're so close because there's not it's not an unrealistic world if you just kind of look at their prospect list and kind of who they're going after. You could end up with like three five star defensive players two on the defensive line, and then a highly rated four-star corner who's a top 50 corner. Like, that's a really strong class, especially when you keep bringing in the talent that you have on offense. So I think that the problem for Ohio State fans, like I said, has been you have pieces, you don't have the whole puzzle put together yet. So Ohio State's next two targets who are up on deck with scheduled commitments are Jeremiah McClellan out of Missouri, the same high school as former Ohio State players Cam Babb and Cameron Brown, number 108 player, the number 18 wide receiver. He will commit on Sunday, August 13th. And then, as Andrew already mentioned, Edric Houston, the five-star defensive lineman out of Buford, Buford, Georgia, Buford High School in Georgia, will be committing on August 22nd. So that's what's coming up here next for Ohio State. We're going to have a bigger recruiting discussion based on the NIL and not necessarily where Ohio State, well, where Ohio State is, yes, but more importantly, their approach to it when you talk about, you know, guys like KJ Bolden, you talk about, you know, losing a guy like Marquis Life with the Miami. We'll have that. I think we're going to have a pot on that because I think that's an interesting discussion that I would love to hear your guys' opinions on. But that will wrap up this episode. Uh, talking running backs. We, we talked recruiting a little bit. This week we'll talk with tight ends. I believe we'll talk with safeties. And on Friday we'll get a chance to watch our second practice of the season, our second full practice, the second one we've been promised to watch. So get the text because when we're at practice, when we're talking with players on uh, with media availabilities, that's where we're starting with stuff. 614-350-3315. Get the text. For Nathan, for Andrew, I'm Steven. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>